Farmers today are facing rising costs, volatile markets, and extreme weather. The Better Way to Farm podcast digs into strategies to help you take control of farm inputs and maximize profit so your farm can thrive for generations. Remember to take advantage of our free resources at abetterwaytofarm.com. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey guys, Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, where we improve profits and increase yields. It's that time of year, guys. Christmas is upon us. It's December, and it's one of our favorite things to do. Get out your best Christmas sweater, your best Christmas shirt. I hope you guys are rocking something. We love Christmas. And at this time of year, what we do is we go in and we put our program on called the 12 Days of Nutrients. And I hope you find value in this. We try to do it every year, and new things come out. We get new things that will help us. And as we launch off into these 12 Days of Nutrients today, we're going to start with N. We're going to start with nitrogen, the big one. Bearing in mind that actually the big three are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, but those are typically not something that we apply. Those are a whole argument discussion for another day. And so today we're going to start with nitrogen. There's going to be some recurring themes this year as we go through because one of the things that we have figured out is that the fundamentals are the fundamentals. It doesn't matter if it's sports, doesn't matter if it's farming, doesn't matter anything. The fundamentals are the fundamentals. And one of our goals every year is to grow and get better and study throughout the year, not just now, but throughout the year, learning things that bring value to the marketplace, trying to figure out what to do. One of the things that over the last 12 months has really been driven home to me is this concept of labeling. I have a good friend who does manufacturing and fertilizing, and I asked Jonathan, I said, hey, man, uh, what are you required to tell me about the fertilizer that you send me? He said, NPK. I said, what if it's got fluorine or cadmium or arsenic in it? He said, NPK. There's zero obligation for the fertilizer company to tell you what's in that stuff. That's why we push you to get stuff checked and especially check it for heavy metals. Yeah, I want to make sure my 28 is 28% nitrogen, but I really want to know what's in it. And one of the things that's really been driven home to me so much is that one of the things that's not on the label but often shows up as a contaminant is aluminum. And aluminum is not our friend, guys. It's not a plant essential nutrient. It's very, very difficult to get it to pry loose the phosphorus. It just ties onto that phosphorus and makes it unavailable. And there's a lot of reasons that we don't want aluminum in the soil. And so even though today I'm talking about nitrogen, throughout these 12 days, I'm going to talk a lot about labeling. I'm going to talk a lot about aluminum as well. So guys, as we start looking at nitrogen, yes, we are aware atmosphere actually is 78% nitrogen. We know that every acre has roughly 35,000 tons of nitrogen directly above it. Of course, that's there, but it doesn't do us any good because that nitrogen is going to have to combine with either hydrogen or oxygen, probably ending up as an NH4 or an NO3. NH4, of course, is ammonium, which has a positive charge. We have NO3, which is nitrate, which is a negative charge. And when we have that NO3 with that negative charge, we know that it tends to run away. One of the things that we have learned over the course of the 31 years we've been doing this is that corn prefers a 50-50 mix. Now, there are some times in its life when it actually prefers one over the other, but overall, a 50-50 mix is what it's after. And actually, later on in life, everything that I read indicates that the ammonium form is better. That's one of the reasons we do have a stabilizer, guys. 
And what it does is it holds that part. It does not impact the part that's in the nitrate form. It only impacts that part that's in the ammonium form, and it keeps it from converting over into nitrate. And that gets us a yield increase a couple of ways. Number one, nitrate goes down the river. Nitrate goes back into the atmosphere as it gases off. Nitrate is lost going down and going out in the tile line. And that's not what we want. And secondly, just the mere fact that it's keeping some in the ammonium form increases yield because the corn plant wants some ammonium. So there's some real things there. I think that you guys are probably well aware that I have some biases, if you will. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we do. Here's the thing. I want all of us just to have our eyes wide open, okay? It's okay to say you're only going to use ammonium nitrate. It's okay to say everything I'm going to do is through ammonium sulfate. It's okay to say everything I'm going to do is through anhydrous ammonia. But guys, I want us to have our eyes really wide open. I believe that if I was going to write an 11th commandment, my 11th commandment would be thou shalt not kid thyself because it's very dangerous. Why do I say that? Well, a year ago, my son went to a meeting in Illinois with Illinois Soybean Association. Now, they had commissioned a study and they were studying what forms of nitrogen suffered the greatest loss. They did a five-year study. They released these results at this meeting. And Kurt said it was just insane. He went out into the hall after they had released this. Now, this was done by the ISA. There's no bias in it from the industry. They're just trying to figure out what's best for you guys, what's best for the farmer, what's going to make you the most money. And they said beyond the shadow of a doubt that fall-applied anhydrous suffers the most loss beyond the shadow of a doubt and they walked out into the hall and there was a whole bunch of growers who were out there violating the 11th commandment they were walking around saying well yeah my farm is different guys this study was done all over the state of illinois and the fact of the matter is we know a lot of guys we work with guys that use nh3 we get it but guys we got to be honest with ourselves and the bottom line is you know i'm going to close with a story here in a little bit about a really good friend of mine and what he did in regards to his nitrogen utilization. And that's going to be very interesting for me to share with you guys. But we just know that that's the one that suffers the most loss. We've got two things right now. The first one happened down in Teotopolis here, I don't know, a couple, three months ago in Teotopolis, Illinois, where the semi wrecked that was carrying a 4,000 gallon of anhydrous ammonia, and it killed five people. It killed the driver and um, another person who happened to drive through the cloud. And then it also killed a dad and his kids when he opened the door to see what was going on. And my heart breaks for those people. This Christmas is going to be very different for that mother of that dad that was in that house with those children. You know, my heart breaks. And the fact of the matter is, everyone says, oh, it's cheap. Oh, it doesn't happen very often. Oh, this, oh, that. Guys, is it really cheap? There's a story of Joe that some of you are probably following. Joe's from Iowa. He had a, as near as I can tell, it would appear that the hose got cut under the front tire of the nurse tank. And instead of the breakaway breaking away, the valve broke off the tank. And when that happened, he got a pretty good dose. And he is home. He's out of the hospital. We have literally prayed for him and for his family. And we take a look at, you know, at, at what happened there. And, and his vision has not been fully restored. His lungs are obviously very, very damaged. And I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. To me, it's not. You know, I had my own story. I got I got a hit when I was 19 years old. I had a hose break on an applicator. And uh, for me, that was the last time. That was it. And so when we look at these people being killed, we look at people losing their, their sight. We're not sure. Guys, 
The other thing that happens is, and I just did some reading on this last night, there's some studies being quoted right now within the industry telling you that if you use anhydrous ammonia, that it doesn't impact the soil bacteria. And those studies, they're reporting the truth to you. Where they use the anhydrous ammonia, it is not impacting the soil bacteria. But that's because the usage rate was 10 or 20 pounds to the acre. Now, I'm going to guess that most of you are applying much more than 10 or 20 pounds. And guys, I want to talk about losses. You know, I, I've done some different things. You know, this fall, we got pretty ambitious here in the Midwest putting on gas and and we started putting it on as it was 70 degrees out. And everybody said, well, the only thing that matters is soil temperature. And you look at the Iowa State four-inch soil temperature, it was 62, 65, 66 degrees. And guys, we suffer a lot of loss at that. And I want to remind you that 50 degrees is not a magic number that all losses quit. Losses just significantly reduce. They still continue. Those bugs continue to work all winter. They continue to take that ammonia, turn it into nitrate, and then it goes out in the groundwater. And so consequently, we're well aware of the fact that there are some things there that go on with it. One of the books that I was reading was by a PhD who had done a bunch of work. And what he determined was that from the injection site in a one foot diameter of that injection site, in other words, six inches on each side, at the moment of injection, all life in the soil ceased. All life ceased. And so consequently, they say, well, yeah, but it'll come back. It'll grow out of it. And it does. I'm not denying that. I know some of you guys are raising fantastic corn using this. I just think there might be some things that you could do that would be even better. Something that would help you. They say, well, I'm going to go in and put in nitropyrin, and that's going to cut my losses. It does. Nitropyrin does cut your losses because it kills those nitrosinomous bacteria. However, it kills all the other bacteria in the soil, too. And I'm not sure that doubling down on murdering all the bacteria is exactly what we want to do. I think we probably want to be a little more versed in saying, hey, let's get something a little more environmentally friendly, not from the standpoint of hugging a tree, but from the standpoint of doing what's right for our soil. As we go through these next 11 days and we start talking about all of the things that interact, all of the things that are hurt by too much nitrogen, what happens when we put on too much? What other nutrients does that hurt? What does that cause us to be deficient in? We're going to take a look at this. As you guys know, I do most of my studying out of a series of books, Hands-On Agronomy, The Anatomy of Life and Energy, Western Fertilizer Handbook, The Fertilizer Handbook, From the Soil Up, The Midwest Labs Agronomy Handbook, and the books, the Albrecht Papers. And that's a good place to start. Obviously, I do some stuff on the internet too, although I found that to be fairly unreliable, so I'm a little bit uptight about that. Today, I want to start out working out of life and energy. As we talk about nitrogen, some of the things that, that spoke to me out of here in particular was just talking about some of the different things that we do when we're using this. Nitrogen, along with potash, is being overused, misused, and abused. It produces great profits for the fertilizer industry. Sidebar, you guys know that I believe strongly that everything that happens in agriculture is good for someone. The question is who? I did a great meeting over in Champaign-Urbana this week. Man, what a great bunch of guys that were over there, Greg, and a bunch of his friends. And I look forward to working with those guys. You know, and I talked about the fact that everything that happens is good for someone, but the question is who. In the book here, nitrogen is the major electrolyte in the soil and living tissue. Without nitrogen, there is no life. It is a primary component of protein and amino acids. It is capable of entering the plant without phosphate, and given certain conditions, it can take potash with it. So we want to make sure that we're aware that 
Sometimes how these different nutrients go in makes a big difference. One of these conditions of modern, of typical modern agriculture creates a situation that is ripe for nitrate toxicity. And when we get into that, we've got a problem. When we use too much nitrogen, what happens? We attract insects to a very large degree. Please remember that nitrogen is utilized by plants in two forms, nitrate and ammonia. Both have distinct functions. The nitrate is needed early in the growing season to stimulate growth of the leaf crops throughout the season. Here's the biggie. The ammonia nitrogen is needed later in the season for fruit and seed production. Guys, if we're going to set good fruit, we're going to have a lot of kernels, we're going to have a lot of soybeans, we need nitrogen later in the season. And it needs to be in the ammonia form. So what does that mean? Part of why we make the case for why dropping late in the season, because you're putting on 32, it's 50-50 nitrate and ammonia. It's ammonia. That is why that we make the case for using the stabilizer that we have because it keeps it in the ammonia form longer. And when we do that, we end up with a yield increase based upon just having not only the right amount, but the right form. One of the things I want to try to do on each nutrient is I want to give you the deficiencies. What does it look like? How do we know these things? Because the industry has relied heavily on the idea that if it's yellow, it's nitrogen. Guys, all kinds of deficiencies are yellow. We're going to go back through these again and again. You know, you get yellow intervenal striping, and it's at the top of the plant. What do we got? Probably a manganese deficiency. Yellow intervenal striping, bottom of the plant, the old growth. What do we got? Probably magnesium. A yellow and a burning around the entire edge of the old growth. What are we missing? Probably potassium. We get a yellowing on the tips at the lower part nitrogen, a yellowing at the plant at the top of the plant, new growth, that's probably sulfur. Seeing yellow makes the industry see green, and they see green by selling nitrogen. Guys, we want to know how to diagnose these, and we're going to go through them. So the symptoms of a nitrogen-starved plant, stunted growth, that pale yellowish color, firing of the tips and the margins at the bottom of the plant, and another symptom that we don't figure out till way later is low protein content. And we don't want to have a low protein content. We don't want to do anything that damages the value of that grain. As we start looking at the fertilizer handbook, these are available from time to time. I've got several people looking for them. They're out of print. You can find them uh, once in a while on Amazon. I've got several friends, uh, Cassie and and uh, Kurt and Preston and Tyler, some of the guys have been able to find them and, and get them because there's just a lot of good information in here. But as we take a look at, at this whole thing on nitrogen, it talks about the fact that leaching is a big loss. In addition to runoff losses from precipitation, in other words, just running away from erosion, downward movement through the soils also hurts us. This is another mechanism for nutrient loss. Ultimately, cycling the nitrogen back into the oceans. Guys, that's not what we want to do. Contrary to common belief, though, I talked about how much is in the atmosphere. Actually, most of the Earth's nitrogen is not contained in the atmosphere. It's really crazy. The plow layer in most soils have a nitrogen content of 0.8 to 0.4% with a representative average of about 0.15%. So therefore, an anchor of soil six inches deep probably has somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 pounds of nitrogen in it. 3,000 pounds. Some things that we want to think about here. Many of the soils will even have over three tons of nitrogen in the plow layer. So over the course of a growing season, 
a crop may remove only 2 to 3% of this organic nitrogen. But that means that the nitrogen from the soil, the soil could be supplying as much as 20 to 80 pounds in one year. And guys, I'm going to suggest that maybe it's even more than that. I had the honor on November the 1st of setting through a presentation by Dr. Mulvaney over at the University of Illinois and then of taking him to lunch and talking about these things. And he is doing all of this work to say how much of what we apply is actually going into the plant. And it would appear that in the best case scenario, in the best case scenario, about 30% is all we're getting into the plant. The other 70, that's going somewhere else, somewhere far, far away. And in fact, the matter is the soil provides a great deal of nitrogen. That's why jacking that organic matter is one of the best things that we can do because it holds on to more nutrients and it helps us to produce a bushel of corn for less money. The whole deal, guys, everything that we're looking at is how do we produce corn for less dollars? And that's what we're going to work on. We know that it does use two forms of nitrogen. This is a reissuing of what I said earlier. Nitrate, NO3. Guys, that is negatively charged. It is not held onto the by the soil, and it moves very freely. It can be denitrified in waterlogged soils. In other words, it's lost into the air as a gas. It also can be used by the plants, but it has a tendency to run away. The other form is ammonium, NH4. It's positively charged, so it's hung onto by the soil because there's an electromagnetic charge that keeps it. It is uh, rapidly nitrified, though. It does convert into NO, especially above 50 degrees. Under certain alkaline conditions, it can form ammonia, which is lost into the air. So we want to be careful with that. It also gets tied up by microorganisms. So the fact of the matter is, guys, we know we need two forms. We know there's a lot of ways to lose it. Denitrification, which is an anaerobic process, meaning those bugs don't need oxygen. So you've got standing water. Those bugs are working, and we're turning that nitrogen into something that can go off as a gas back into the atmosphere. And please remember, we don't need any more nitrogen in the atmosphere. We've got about almost 80% there right now. So we want to hang on to that and try and keep it in the form that we have it. Losses from applied nitrogen through denitrification may range between 5 and 30%. Leaching and or erosion may add another 5 to 20. So now we're between 10 and 50% total loss. Considering the amount of nitrogen immobilized by microorganisms, it is not difficult to appreciate why fertilizer nitrogen uptake by plants is often only in the 50 to 70% range. And I will tell you that all of the work that Dr. Mulvaney has done would indicate it's more like 15 to 30 of what we apply is going in there. The rest of it's coming from the soil. Guys, we can rethink our whole concept of how much nitrogen we put on. And I'm not here telling you to take your whole 4,000 acres, your whole 1,000 acres, your whole 30,000 acres and go gung-ho and change it. I'm saying, what if you just do some experiments? What if you say, hey, we've been anhydrous users, but we're going to dedicate 180, and for five years, we're going to use 32, and we're going to spring apply it, and then we're going to wide drop, and we're going to see what happens to the life of the soil, and what happens to the yield overall, and what does it cost us to grow a bushel of corn? We're going to say we take this 80, and whatever we've been using on anhydrous in the fall, we can use much less when we apply it in the spring and then split shot it and come back with the wide drop. And so consequently, there are a lot of things that we can look at. Guys, we know for a fact that there is a different way to do some things, some things that we can come up with that will help us. Lastly, I want to share some things here out of the Hands-On Agronomy book. 
as we start going through here and taking a look at things. A lot of what I'm trying to do today, guys, is make you think. I don't expect all of you to agree with me. That's okay. It'd be a boring world if we all wore a Snoopy shirt for Christmas. You know, and I got other sweaters. You're gonna see all of those. That's that's the recurring theme here. We love being able to do this. As we start talking about nitrogen, as the nitrate nitrogen moves through the soil, much of it converts to nitric acid, which then leaches available soil calcium. Guys, this is why the overuse of nitrogen hurts us and makes us need to put on more lime. When we overuse nitrogen, we greatly reduce calcium, especially when soils have not been balanced to the proper saturations and the nutrients that have not been maintained in that soil. In short, imbalance always creates other imbalances. So in other words, my good friend Dennis says, life's pretty simple. Figure out how it works and get on the right side of it. When we know we don't have it right, then we got to come back in and work on it and make it better. The weakest link in the chain is going to affect the yield. In many soils, the weak link is not nitrogen, phosphate, potash, not even calcium. I've had clients whose soil tests show they do not need calcium. They used at least as much phosphate and potash, and invariably they were using too much nitrogen. But sulfur and other micronutrients were limiting the yield. Four different clients raised their corn yield in three years by 30 to 40 bushels per acre when they started using sulfur and micronutrients. That's the only change they made. When the soil test showed certain fertilizers they could cut back on to save money, they spent it on micronutrients. Yet, micronutrients only make a difference when everything else has been corrected. This is why, guys, as we go through these 12 days of nutrients, it's going to be a lot. And we're going to talk a lot about micronutrients and how to get them. But when this author was talking about this, number one, we only apply them if we need them. That's why we are not in favor of some kind of quadrus, quintet, whatever, five, six, three, two different micros in a jug saying this is all you need. Because, guys, there is no chance that my friend Greg over in Illinois needs the exact same micronutrients as my friend Jim does out in Nebraska or as my friend Mike up in Minnesota or my friend Andrew down in Missouri. Guys, you don't even have fields that have the same micronutrient need, let alone one jug is going to fix everything for you. And so we have to make sure that we're doing that soil testing. But the most important thing is, is I want you today to embrace what my good friend Francis Child said. Don't be a moron. If the answer to growing 500 bushel corn was more N, more P, more K, we'd all be doing it. We've put on a ton. But the fact of the matter is, that's not it. What's going to take us to the next level is fixing our secondary nutrients, fixing our micronutrients, doing everything. Guys, there's no silver bullet. Oh, I wish I could invent a silver bullet. I'd be very filthy rich, and you guys all be growing 500 bushel corn but I don't know how to do that because there isn't one. It's a matter of doing everything correctly. And that's what we're going to look at is how do we do this the right way. Guys, I encourage you to get these books and study. Winter's coming and it's going to get cold and it's going to get miserable. And rather than maybe just scrolling on TikTok or watching some mindless TV show, spend a little time just trying to figure out what one thing we could do differently next year that will make us more money. I tell farmers when they open a semi-load, get up on the top and lift the lid and smell. If it knocks you back, you don't want it. That's because there's a whole lot more than 1% ammonia in it. The part that gives the ammonia smell means it's getting away. And oftentimes, suppliers will inject anhydrous ammonia into nitrogen to get the level up to 32%. 
That is why you should buy 32% nitrogen that is less than 1% ammoniated. Guys, we get confused and just say it's more pounds, it's more pounds, it's more pounds. Four makes all the difference. The four R's are real. They really are. But it's not just raw pounds, guys. It's usable pounds. And 32% that's really 26 and had a bunch of anhydrous ammonia blowed in it to jack that up, it gasses off almost immediately and you don't get any good out of it. And so it's not about getting the most pounds. It's about getting the most usable amount that you can get. Talking about, again, staying with the nitrogen theme, figuring out what we want to do here. So what happens when we overapply nitrogen? Now, this is another author talking about. First of all, too much nitrogen can induce a zinc deficiency. Guys, zinc is important for moisture absorption, and therefore it takes more water to do the same job if we're short on zinc. Also, excessive nitrogen will tie up copper. Copper gives us stock strength, and copper helps us repel bugs. It helps us repel disease. When we use too much nitrogen, we make ourselves ripe. We are begging to get pathogens into our corn crop. We want to make sure that we're not doing this. Guys, you can cut the stalk near the ground and see inside that it's starting to disintegrate if we have too much nitrogen applied. And that is not what we want to do. One of the observations unveils the bigger dangers associated with overuse is this. Anhydrous in the strip suggests 20% more nitrogen, but microbial breakdown of humus is enhanced dangerously. Any nitrogen source is dangerous when it's overused. It drives out calcium. We know that. We can remove 10% of our calcium by a nitrogen oversupply. And what does that do? That will increase our magnesium typically by 10%. And this is one of the reasons that nitrogen has the reputation for tightening soils. It's not just that you put it on and it tightens the soil. It's that you put it on and it drives the calcium off the soil colloid, leaving behind the magnesium. And we know that magnesium levels above 18% in a base saturation start to really tighten up. We know that soil gets hard and it won't penetrate and we can't make it go down and, and do what we want it to do. And so overuse is not our friend. Being judicious with the right amount of in is important. I want to talk about nitrogen and how it impacts sulfur and how sulfur impacts it. Although sulfur occurs in the soil as a sulfate ion, the major soil source for sulfur is humus. The higher the humus, the less likely the need for sulfur. Therefore, the humus level and the rate of increase or destruction is an index to sulfur availability. The bottom line remains the same. Overusing nitrogen will burn out the humus and will destroy the sulfur storage system. Heavy use of nitrogen to cover for sulfur will translate into less humus. Therefore, sulfur to sustain future, but then you will have less sulfur to sustain future crop production. Guys, we really, really want to make sure that we have that sulfur right. We're going to get into sulfur later, but we know that we have lost the sulfur from the atmosphere and it's really hammered on us to put more and more and more on. Guys, lodging, it is not a secret. Lodging will result when nitrogen causes accelerated growth and ties up copper. Again, we've talked about that before, but a lot of what we're wanting to do here is drive the point home. We want to make sure that we understand nothing is an island. Everything impacts something else. Nitrogen is going to impact phosphorus. Nitrogen is going to impact zinc. Nitrogen is going to impact copper. Therefore, it's going to impact plant health and standability. And we really don't want to give up that standability as we go about grazing these, you know, these big yields. Take a harder plant, a healthier plant. It's got to stand. It's pretty easy to get 140 bushel corn to stand. 300 bushel corn 
probably going to be a little bit harder. We got a lot more out there that we're hanging on to. We want to make sure that we're doing the right things to give it every opportunity that we can in order to stay upright. Guys, copper is your friend. And today's not on copper, but today is on this sentence. Adequate copper seems to increase the uptake efficiency of plants receiving ammonium forms of nitrogen. So what does that mean? Too much nitrate is going to reduce the copper. Not enough copper is going to cut down on how much ammonium you get into the plant. It's all about getting on the right side of things. Too much nitrate means less ammonium. Less ammonium means less yield. Less copper means less ammonium. And so we want to be very careful to make sure we're not doing anything that's making it more difficult for that plant. We want to give that plant every opportunity to be successful and to grow. And guys, this is something that you're going to hear me talk about. You're going to hear me read the same paragraph multiple times in the next 12 days of nutrients. 19 pounds of nitrogen are needed by corn in the first 25 days. We also know about needing phosphorus. In the first 25 days, we need four pounds of phosphorus. We've all been told to use a high P starter, 1034O, because we need phosphorus, and we do. But check this out. You need 19 pounds of nitrogen in the first 25 days. You need four pounds of phosphorus in the first 25 days. You need 22 pounds of plant-available potassium. I can't wait to get into potassium and talk more about that. But the fact of the matter is, guys, we're all about laying the nitrogen to it, trying to figure out how to shove as much as we can. We don't even need it. We don't need as much nitrogen as we do potassium in those first 25 days. So we're going to talk about tying this all together and seeing what we can do to make it come back and work, to make it all work for you, to figure out how to get things working in a way that make you money. I just want to close today with this. I have a really good friend named Sam. I'm a big fan of his. He's doing a lot of great things. He's doing some stuff on social media. But I'm really impressed with how he's changed his farming operation. When we first met Sam, I don't know, four or five years ago, Sam's family was farming. They were doing a good job. They're good farmers. But their nitrogen utilization, they were figuring it was about 1.2 pounds of nitrogen to grow one bushel of corn. Today, they figure they're going to grow that bushel of corn somewhere on 0.6 to 0.7. So, in essence, what did they do? They cut their nitrogen use by one half pound per bushel. That means on 280 bushel corn, they're saving 140 units of N. Now, guys, the bottom line is we're not going to do that with fall applied anhydrous. But if we're willing to embrace some different ideas, willing to do some different things, you tell me what would that 140-pound nitrogen reduction, how many dollars per acre would that save you? What would it save you? I don't know what N is right now, but let's just assume that it's 40 cents a unit, 40 cents a pound. If that's the case and you just cut down by 50%, now your cost of a bushel of corn went from down by 20 cents. And all of a sudden, when we can cut that in half, we can make a big difference. And guys, I just want to encourage you, there is a different way to do things. I look forward to these next 11 sessions or maybe 12. We may do a wrap-up at the end. I hope this finds you, this season finds you grateful. Grateful to your creator, grateful for your family, grateful for the opportunity to be living in the United States, grateful to be able to live in this industry in the greatest place in the world. Guys, we're grateful for you. We appreciate you tuning in. Thank you ever so much. We will be coming back. Our next time we talk, we'll be talking about phosphorus, and we're looking forward to it, and we really do hope you guys are having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.